Punters and welcome to Tats Inside 50. Four rounds of the AFL season done and dusted and plenty of banana skin results for punters and favourites alike. As per usual, a very warm welcome to the superstar Shane Crawford. How are you, Crawford? Nick Quinn, yeah, loving the AFL season. It's unpredictable. The draw's changing every day as it uh, unfolds. So, um, no, we just put our heads down, keep going with what our heart keeps telling us to tip each week. And hopefully there's a winner or two. I'll tell you what, if you're batting at 50% or better this season in the tipping, you're doing very, very well. And we thought we needed a bit of a help in that department this week. So we've gone to the Herald Sun. We've said, give us your best footy tip stuff. Give us the finest you've got. And dished up the great man, Glenn McFarlane. Macca, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Quinny. Thanks, Crawford. I had to get someone else if you've got to get the best tips. But I have a crack. I'll have a crack for you blokes and I'll do what I can. No, no he's a very good man. We go way back. Oh, so I've got a very good relationship with Glenn and... When we think of journalists, we always think of the nasty sort of articles that are written and so forth. But this is one of the finest men. You go to all the football clubs and they've got nothing but love for him because he's very respectful by the way he goes about it. Doesn't get me anything, Which is very unique with a lot of journalists because there's a lot that we like to to go hard at and they like to go hard back. So uh, we like all that, but Glenn's one of the good ones. It is a theme, Macca. Every time I do mention you with players past and current, they've got very warm things to say about you as well. So does that come down to the fact that you don't publish everything you hear and know and you try and do the right thing by the person? Uh, yeah, I always try and do the right thing by the person, but I also do the right thing by my organisation as well. So if there's something there to be written, I'll write it. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But uh, I've always been on the school of I didn't want I've been in journalism for nearly 30 or 30 years now. Uh, I didn't want journalism to change my personality and I refuse to let it change my personality. And I did say on day one, if this changes me, I'll get out. I'm still hanging in there. And I think it does help that you get people who are trusted by players or trusted by coaches. And when you've been around a while, Quinny, as you would know, you tend to find that the players that you, you know, or the, the jockeys or whoever then become the trainers or in, and the players now are becoming the coaches. So I've had a fair bit to do with coaches now going around and the players. So I, I think that's just the way I am. I, I wouldn't change the way I am. But if I've got a big story on Shane, I'll be, I'll be throwing it but out there. You can ASAP. have a big story, but it's the way that Correct. you send it out there, you know, and, and there's a lot of journalists out there that go hard and, and, and look for that real headline and, and, you know, you read the articles and it takes you back. But uh, there's a way that you can put the story together. But uh, this man, he's one of the best, he's, the way he does it. Very nice of I'm Shane. I'm pumping you up. He does story. Barry for Collingwood, though. We, we won't hold so that against him. We've all got faults. We've all got our problems, haven't we? <laughs> and you're no stranger to podcast. Your podcast, Sack, doing wonderful things at the moment. For those that haven't heard, you basically chat to predominantly coaches, but a couple of players as well that have been sacked by their club or organisation. Yeah, it's been great fun doing it with John Ralph. We've really enjoyed it. We look for, you know, there's so many podcasts around at the moment. You need a little bit of point of difference. I love listening to you guys, uh, but you need that little point of difference. And John and I needed that. And we felt that an area you want to, the punter just wants to go behind the scenes, don't they? Whether it's in the rooms or whatever. What more controversial thing is there than a sacking? So we started with coaches, and in the first series, we'll get some, some of the biggest names, and we were lucky. Um, people trusted us to tell their story. Um, not sure the stories were matched up with some of the other stories that others had, but, you know, to get some big-name coaches. And then we've sort of morphed it into coaches and players now, and I think that's fascinating now. We've had some incredible tales, like Brock McLean. We went into an interview with Brock McLean thinking we knew Brock had had some issues, but we didn't know the extent of his issues. And, and John Ralph and I walked out of that and thought, wow, that is just the most unbelievable thing we've been a part of in so many years of journalism. So uh, it's fascinating. to I think everyone's intrigued by what happens behind the scenes. Shane knows what happens behind the scenes. But, Quinny, you and I get a bit of a look. 
But when you get right behind the scenes, I think it's absolutely – I find it intriguing about what's going on. I'm learning as we go through it. Who's been your favourite one? Uh, it's a really hard one to, to do Don't that. Don't sit on the fence, Glenn. No, no, I was just – because there were so many good ones. There were so many really good ones. I, I, I thought Scott Waters was really good because mm-hmm. I knew nothing about Scott Waters. Uh, and to hear his tale, bizarre um, to hear his tale. Brock McLean was. Uh, Robert Walls is an interesting one. I he think was excellent. I, I found him really intriguing in that um, – it went back to a time when I was a kid and growing up with a lot of that sort of stuff. And I just think he's a great storyteller as well. And, gee, the footy media misses him. Um, I, I, they've all been terrific and they've all been good. Um, and we've got a Series 3 coming up soon, hopefully. So I haven't been able to get Shane in there. He was never sacked from no anywhere. sacked him. He's just horrible. Oh, I should have been sacked many a time. Don't you worry <laughs> about that. Hey, Quinny, I, uh, last year, this about this time last year, I ventured over to America with Glenn. Did he? So, really? Uh, On tour? It, it was his 50th. Yeah. And uh, I said, listen, I'm going to the Kentucky Derby over there, or the Derby, however you want to say, West Australia um, or Victoria. And then Glenn said, oh, oh, that's something I wouldn't mind doing. I'm turning 50. And I'm like, okay, well, you go check at home if you can come. I'm going to go. I said, but I'm not going to plan it until the last couple of weeks. You get better deals that way, I said. <laughs> but this is how we're going to roll. I said, I've got some mates who live in America. They're going to meet us in Louisville. Uh, we're going to stay at a stud farm. We're going to, you know, it's going to be a great time. So come on. So we did. We took off. We went to the Kentucky Derby. We watched the race from on the track. Can you believe that? It's raining. It's wet. And someone looked at our passes and said, oh, you guys can get on the track. And we're like, what? <laughs> they go, no, no, you can get on the track. And so the next thing, we're standing on the track it's like the Melbourne Cup, Kentucky Derby. We're standing on, on the track, not on the fence, about five metres out with the officials where the horses seriously are 10 metres away running past us. It was just out of this world, wasn't it? It was 160,000 people. Yeah, it's incredible. We're on the cigars. <laughs> we're, we're just having the time of our life thinking, how good is this? It couldn't happen possibly here in Australia because we'd have people running out towards the horses. But for some reason, that's what they do. They allow people just to go everywhere and they just trust everyone's going to do the right thing. And it was an unforgettable derby for all the wrong reasons. Unbelievably. Uh, the first time in history that on the day, the, the, you know, there's a protest and the protest is upheld and, and Country House gets the... Uh, we've even got a story about that. I don't know whether we can tell that no, story. No, we've got to tell that we've story. We've got to tell this story. So yep. we're, I'll leave you to tell it, but I'll set it up by saying that uh, uh, Country House doesn't win, runs second, and there's a protest. We're standing in the middle of the track almost, aren't we? Right in the middle of the track thinking... You know, we've all backed the winner. We think we're a chance. And then there's a protest. And tell us what happened next, Jane. Yeah, and there's no protest over there. It's just you're disqualified even if you win by a margin. So they bring the winning horse back and we're like virtually there with all the winners. How good's this? Watching everyone celebrate. And then the next thing, they go over for the winner's photo. Okay. And my friend who I was with, he was front and uh, centre with the photo. So he's, if you look through the last five Kentucky derbies, he's in the winning photo of every horse. Extraordinary. Um, so anyway, and then all of a sudden the siren goes and they get told, listen, you haven't won. So they get taken away and we're like, oh, this is unbelievable. So then the next lot come in and go, you're the winner. Like a Once again, my mate's there front and centre, arms in the air. <laughs> Two if Kentucky through, derby winners. If you look through any of the photos involving the Kentucky derby, I think New York, uh, the the New York Times, they had yep. um, front page. There's my mate front and centre, like he's won the Kentucky Derby. But whilst we're waiting, because the the first horse past the post uh, got disqualified, we're standing in the middle of the track and there's no one else around us and it's muddy. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, have a look at this. And then my mate's bent down. He's picked up a ticket and he's gone, hang on, that's, that's, that's the winning horse. <laughs> 
this is a true story. And he's like, oh, it must be, it must be the owners. What, one of their tickets. What do I do? And I said, well, they're over there celebrating. I said, you're not really going to know. There's 160,000 people here. I said, just go and cash it in. Let's go and have a good time. And I'll, we're not talking small money either. We're talking. He went and cashed it in. It was about 6,000 yep. US. Oh. And for the next couple of nights, we had the best time. Croft put away the board games. The AFL is back. And so is the Tab Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets all in the one bet. Available online for every AFL game this season to Victoria, New South Wales and ACT Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. 1-800-858-858. Hasn't it been beautiful to see the Gold Coast Suns up and running in 2020? A club that has never made the finals and they've had their problems from the days where they had Campbell Brown running around and struggling. Gary Ablett was brilliant before he got hurt. But finally, it looks like the club is on the right path. And every week, Matt Rowe just continues to amaze us. We know you're very thorough, Macca, but your research on Matt Rowe is quite incredible. You've been scouting him since the day he was born. <laughs> since the day he was born. Amazing story, this. Um, you always think, oh, I know somebody who's got a son who plays good footy. Well, Matt Rowe's mum, Louise, uh, was a bridesmaid in Christine and I's our wedding uh, all those years ago, 1996 or whatever it was. Um, and this kid was born in Sydney. Uh, his dad, David, was a rugby you know, played rugby and loved rugby and all that sort of stuff. They moved to Melbourne when Matt was a young kid. And I think from under 10s onwards, he's won every best and fairest all the way through. Um, and speaking to people who, and you would have seen him and tracked him all the way through, Shane, I don't think I've ever seen a kid come in and dominate in my lifetime the first four games. Admittedly, they haven't played much. Admittedly, he hasn't been tagged yet. That could be interesting this week against Geelong. But it's been extraordinary. He's got three lots of Brownlow votes, you would hope, three best on grounds. If they haven't, the umpires have got it wrong, no doubt. But the better indicator is that the coaches have given him 10 votes in the three of the four games he's played. I can't remember anyone ever. No one's ever done that before. No, could have that any better. Look at this. Over our shoulder as we speak. There we go. Look who's kicked a goal. Could Let, not time that any better. <laughs> he, he kicks goals every week on his wrong foot Well, that's too. it. He's kicking goals. Yeah. yeah. So uh, a midfielder that kicks goals and – and you talk about, you know, getting close attention. When he played West Coast, Yo was into him. Um, he had Kelly on him at times. And he was loving it. He's like, bring it on. You want to be competitive. You want to push me and, and, you know, force me into areas I don't want to go. Don't worry. I'll come back at you. And he was just awesome. So he keeps attacking the footy. And those players, they're, they're the hardest to tag. A player that can really run, a player that gets and wins their own footy, because um, you've already got a lot of players around you as it is. Yeah, he's a very special talent. It's awesome. It's awesome for the competition that the Gold Coast are up and about. Three in a row is incredible. And what Stewie do, you can see they've got a real system to the way they go. It's sort of like a slingshot system. It's like, okay, let's try and win the footy back and then bang, let the slingshot go and let's just go in numbers and just really work through the corridor the best we can because a lot of sides at the moment are playing very safe. They're not going through the corridor, whereas – Gold Coast are really uh, taking the game on. And they've got a ruckman there, Wits, who's dominating. Like, we're not giving him much love at the moment, but he is just, seriously, he, I'd hate to see when he goes out of the Gold Coast side for an injury or he misses a week, what that'll actually do because he's giving first use to the players around the stoppage and he's really leading from the front. And that's why he's, you know, one of the, the leaders there at the Gold Coast Suns. When was the first time you saw Matt Rowe play? 
Probably saw him as probably uh, would have been early, sort of 12, 13, 14 in, in a couple of school games, but not that often. Uh, but then got to see him through the under-18s and, and basically I knew him anecdotally as much as a player than anything else. But seeing him as a 17, 18-year-old doing what he was doing at that level it, it was extraordinary. And, and everyone I spoke to would say, he's going to get better. Wait till he plays against men. So all this talk about, and we know that Damien Hardwick has spoken about it before, we should up the, uh, the, the draft age to 19 or 20 that doesn't help someone like Matt Rowell, who comes straight in and plays as he does now. Um, he's going he's gonna to come in for some attention. We know that. But what we've seen at the moment has been extraordinary. Just the way he shoved away Nat Fife last week and just basically brushed his tackle away. Extraordinary. Now, he's going to come in for attention, I dare say, this week when they come up against Geelong. And Chris Scott did not shy away from that fact. He'll have a matchup. There's, there's no doubt about that. My mind does go back a little bit to Chris Judd and even Joel Selwood when they started in the competition. It's a mistake to say, well, they're just a young player and, yeah, they're playing well, but when they get a bit more attention, they, they won't um, perform to the same level. He's a very good player within the AFL system already. The, the, the matchup, as we know, it's always on a spectrum from you know, a sort of loose association to a really hard tag. I, th- I suspect it'll be closer to the hard tag end of the spectrum. Crawford, how's he going to go this week at the Cattery with the Cats putting a lot of focus into him? Yeah, but the, the problem is you've got to be careful with tagging players these days. I think you've got to have real close attention, especially early on in a game. You've got to make sure that you, you're really taking care of some of the real dangerous players. Um, you don't want their confidence getting high and you don't want them to, to have easy access to the ball early in the game. And, you know, for an example out of that is last week – Adelaide played um, Brisbane and Lockie Neal got keys coming to him in a real negative manner in the first two quarters and, like, just was worried about where he's going, didn't worry about the footy, tried to just take him out of the game. But the problem was, by halftime, Brisbane were in front by 40 points. <laughs> so how does, that, how does that help? And then after that, they said, oh, listen, just go and get the footy. Let's not go the hard tag. Brisbane, uh, Adelaide kicked four goals and actually won the third quarter. So having a, a full tag and a very negative tag um, can not necessarily be the best way to do things. You need a player who can be really responsible, can really uh, apply good pressure, but also get themselves into dangerous positions, block up good space and help the team around stoppages as well. So I, I think it'll be fine because he's a player who goes and gets his own footy and when you think about players over the last 10 years that go and get their own footy, you know, you're thinking about Paddy Cripps, you're thinking about Sam Mitchell, you know, and, and you might be able to stop them for a quarter or so, but then they just work their way into the game because it's virtually impossible to stop, you know, especially players like him. So maybe he won't have his 20, he might get 15, but that's still having an impact. And can he, you know, sneak forward and kick a goal? And I think that's probably what Chris Scott will be doing more than ever. He's like, we need to put a lot of time and effort into him, concentrate on what he's doing, but let's not kick, let him kick goals. You know, do not let him hit the scoreboard because that's where he's having a real influence on game. So, um, and you've got to remember Ablett, um, Selwood, Dangerfield, they're all not run-with type players. So they all often, you know, hang around the ball. So it might be a Guthrie or, or someone like that who who has, you know, the job of paying more attention. But I think it's more of a team defence attitude when you come up against a young kid like that.
I can't wait for this game. I think it's, it's going to be so game. fascinating, isn't it? Now, I've given you both some homework, and I've given myself the task as well, and I've completed it, because we've seen Matt Rowell have one of the all-time great first seasons at this early stage. We are only four weeks into the season. But the best first year season you've seen, I'm going to go back to 1993 for mine. Ooh. Nathan Buckley. Oh, His 20. season with the Brisbane Bears, you know absolutely what? This brilliant. is a star. 21 games, came in, made an immediate impact. The difference was, though, he played two years of senior footy at Port Adelaide. He was 20 into 21 in terms of how old he was that year. So it's a big difference to Mm. Rao. But he, for mine, was just an immediate impact. And especially, and I liked hearing about this with the Robert Walls podcast that you did, Sacked, where it was known he was coming for one season, coming and going, but he was fully locked in. He was such a professional by the sounds of it from the first training session he had up at Brisbane, a team that had never made the finals themselves. So a big tick for Nathan Buckley. That remains the best first season I've seen. What about yourself, Macca? I agree. I, everyone talks about Joel Selwood. Everyone talks about uh, Chris Judd. Fantastic first years. Shane Crawford, good. Se- second game, three Brownlow votes. How many Brownlow votes do you reckon Chris Judd got in his first year? It's oh, a great question. None. Zero. There's a good trivia question. Joel Selwood? Two. Two. Really? Nathan Buckley? Mm-hmm. 14. 14. Yeah. So, and, and I take your point about the – and that was clearly Nathan Buckley coming in to me in my lifetime. That's the best first season I've seen yep. a person put in there. Admittedly, he was 20. He was coming off, um, you know, uh, a huge effort with Port Adelaide in the Sandful. But that was just an extraordinary year. There was a lot of talk about skullduggery with the Brisbane – Bears, as it was back then, uh, best and fairest that year. Um, uh, Magic McLean won the best and fairest that year. Nathan Buckley finished second. There was a lot of talk about manipulation of votes. Now, Robert Walls in the podcast said that was absolute crap. Didn't happen. Uh, Not true. But Nathan Buckley, to finish second in that best and fairest, to do what he did, win the rising star, uh, knowing he was only going to be there one year, to me, that's... Even though Joel Selwood, from a team perspective, was outstanding to play in a premiership, I think Nathan Buckley's mine. Yeah, should have yeah, won that. And, and Best and fairest, there's oh, no yeah, doubt about that. Stiff. But you're right. I mean, he started the year as 20, he turned 21 halfway mm. through the season, and it does back up some of the coaches' thoughts that maybe the the age should be a little bit higher, where they can maybe come in like the American athletes that have played their college and they come in and make an immediate impact. Who's the best first year you've seen? Well, I think you've nailed it there with Nathan Buckley. He was, you know, and from the Brownlow votes, it just all sort of marries perfectly. But that's, you look at Rao, and he's pretty much mirroring what Nathan Buckley sort of did um, at the Brisbane Lions. But you've got to remember, would Nathan Buckley, if he could, Wind back time now because he left and then Brisbane won three. In a row. <laughs> Why would you leave Collingwood? Why would you would, not want to be at Collingwood? Would you go? Do you know what? Hindsight, I might hang around for five or six years and then eventually head off to Melbourne. Mm. Would Would you sort of? But you think couldn't like have seen that, that coming no. at Brisbane because they'd done nothing. They were a basket case. And if he had stayed five years, he still wouldn't have got the flag. So he would have had to have stayed oh, a bit longer. Stay but six and then being, you get seven and eight. But um, but uh, it, it's funny how football works like though, that. Oh, Boss and Buckley in the middle. Lappin, Akamanis, floating through the yeah. Who's, who's your starting? Who's your starting midfielder? I think Buckley starts. Well, in there, yeah, yep. But, yeah. but goodness, uh, I good. tell you what, like picking the winner from year to year, and mm. obviously Matty Rowell, as long as he plays enough games, he's he's locked and loaded. No one's going to uh, beat him. But there has been not controversial winners, but winners that you just sort of raise your eyebrow a bit because I like to focus on the impact that they have in a game, not necessarily. I think we get too much or caught up on possessions too much. Reese Palmer um, over Cyril Rioli. Yeah, like yes. Reese Palmer got, and he had a good year. Um, but 
Marcus Bottompelli didn't you've got, win You've got to look at the impact Taylor, that they have and how their ball efficiency, the pressure they're applying, um, you know, from a tackling point of view and their role for the team. Like, um, you know, Silrioli, I think, did he come second or third? I think he came second um, in his year. But what he was doing for the team, no other younger player was doing for their team at another club, which was just incredible. That forward pressure, that was sort of the real start of that manic forward pressure and, and more focusing on tackling and and harassing and, and scaring the defence to make bad decisions. Um, but it's very hard for a forward pocket, sort of half forward, to, you know, have a lot of the footy. But uh, it's, it's, it's always great recognition for the young kids coming through just to – to, you know, have something that just gives them a little sort of starting point to say, yes, I'm a rising star. I remember looking back in my year, rising star year, there was, you look back now, it's like that's David the, Neitz, it was Nathan Buckley. That's the best rising there star was, year. If you go back and have a look, that 93 year Matty Richardson, it was... Unbelievable. It it's, was a bit like, and the good thing is they all got nominated, mm, but they all went on yep. to play 200, 300 games and have real significant it's extraordinary that 93 club. rising star year. And just to be honest, I would have voted for Reese Palmer as well that year because he was outstanding in hindsight. Yeah. And things do change, do don't they, over time? And things, but, but at the wow. time, yeah. But um, that's the beautiful thing about it. Now, we love our footy. We're so happy it's back. But I think it's safe to say that the standard at times hasn't been great. Now, admittedly, we've got to take a lot of factors into account. The games are shorter. The players have had interrupted pre-seasons. But Alistair Clarkson made some surprising and, I'll be honest, slightly disappointing comments on the weekend. Gee, I hope I'm not the only one that thought it was a dreadful game. <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's just no highlights, highlights in the game. You know, we, we got a result and bank it and move on. Uh, I don't think North played well and I don't think Hawthorne played well. Um, and But having said that, you compete and you're, you're trying to get four points and fortunately for us and very fortunately in the end we got the four points and we move on but um, you know there's a lot of things about the game like we we you put a lot of time and effort and endeavour into the game that play, like we had 69 tackles I don't think we had a free kick from a tackle 69 tackles and not one of them can be adjudicated holding the ball it's just like what's what's happened to our game so not happy there Clarko but he is the coach. If he's yep. not happy at the way the game is being played or the standard of footy, he can be a bit more attacking. Correct. Port Adelaide are doing that. Like um, Gold Coast are doing that. The the teams that are that are attacking it. Port Brisbane Adelaide, are doing it. Brisbane are doing yep. it. The, the teams like that are, are getting great um, uh, spring off all areas of their game. Um, I, I get a little bit frustrated with coaches sometimes because I think they're so much of the problem. I'm not necessarily just saying Clarko. But uh, that's why I think the AFL, when they do want to change things, don't necessarily just go to the coaches because it's like going to the to Dracula about the blood bank. They, <laughs> they've got their own sort of slant on things, haven't they, in a lot of ways. So uh, uh, the game's not in great shape. We know that. It needs some changes here and there. But I think minuscule changes. Um, yes, pay more holding the balls, quicker holding the balls. Maybe change the, the length of the kick to a mark. Maybe just change that a little bit. But, gee, these guys are coming off you know, virtually a lockdown, uh, two different, very different pre-seasons. They're on shorter minutes, which I think is going to be needed to get through a season, to be honest, the way things were going. So I think we've probably got to cut them a little bit of slack, but the coaches are part of the problem, Croft. Yeah, well, the, the thing with holding the football, players want to get caught with the ball these days. They've been trained to actually get the footy, pick it up, I'm going to get tackled, or I'm in a 
a, a situation where I know I can't get the ball to my teammate perfectly or the old school days where we get in there and we just try and knock it forward, the opposition are waiting for you and that's giving the ball straight back to the opposition. So the players are coached to take tackles and to quickly work out whether or not you'll be caught holding the ball. Sometimes coaches will tell you, oh, I'm okay if you get caught holding the ball. Just take your time giving it back. Allow us five to six, seven seconds so we can then get back and really set up a bit of a zone. So that's the problem. The problem is everyone's been coached to take tackles and to be caught holding the footy, which a lot of people will go, what? You, you, you're instructed to you know be caught with the ball. Yes, you are because – these days, and we see with Brisbane and Port Adelaide and even the Gold Coast, as soon as the ball goes free, and if it's not perfectly to your teammate, the opposition get it, whoosh, straight down, and they can hit the scoreboard. So that's the problem, you know, and I understand Clarko, he's frustrated, but he's also been coaching him to take tackles and, uh, you know, just to, to roll with the rules. Well, two teams that have been playing brilliant footy, both in terms of Easy to watch, and the results they've been getting this season are Brisbane and Port Adelaide. They do battle Saturday night. Both teams could be destined to go deep into the season. Who's going to get the four points here, Macca? I'm a Port Adelaide man here. I really like them at the at the value we've got with them at the moment. Uh, Brisbane slightly ahead in terms of the you know the the. The odds at the moment, but I just think the way they're playing, uh, the connection they've got, they've really enjoyed being in the hub, uh, as opposed to another team like uh, West Coast who have struggled. So I, I've got a feeling that I think it'll be a fantastic game, and we'll see them later in the year for sure. But I'm going to go for Port Adelaide in this game. Are either of these teams genuine premiership contenders? I think they're both genuine premiership contenders. This is an unusual year, so I think usually this time of year we're looking at probably four teams to win the flag, but I reckon there's probably still eight or nine that could win it. These two definitely can win it because of the way they play their footy. So attacking, so exciting. They've got really good midfields. They've got really good forward lines. And um, I imagine them playing, not necessarily off in a grand final, but them playing off in the finals will be intriguing. Who are you with here, Croft? I'm with Port Adelaide. I do like Brisbane, but um, if you watch a lot of their footage, uh, they can be a bit patchy. And But what they do really encourage is their midfielders to kick goals and to get forward. And uh, we even saw a few weeks ago when they played Fremantle towards the end of the match, they were, they were taking too many risks uh, as the ball went forward with their midfielders pushing in, not necessarily setting up a zone and a wall, um, especially through the middle. Fremantle almost got the, the ball through the middle a couple of times towards the end of the match. And that, for me, is a worrying sign. It can be a good sign because you can score so quick, and that's why they do score so quick. Uh, we saw... Uh, Hugh McCluggage and also Lockie Neal. Between them, they had 12 shots on a goal. They're midfielders. They're starting midfielders. So we know that they can really hit the scoreboard, but I just my concern is when they come up against a, a really well-drilled side who really hold position and can use the ball well, um, that might be their undoing. So I think at the moment, until they actually correct that a bit, I think, uh, I think Port Adelaide will win this match. Sunday, Richmond, the team that has been so dominant the last few years, has not won a single game since the resumption of the season. How many Will lunches is that for well, you, Well, it's costing me a fortune. <laughs> I bet him a lunch against Hawthorne, and then our producer, Scott Cooney, we had a chicken schnitzel on it mm. last week against St Kilda. The Saints won, and he's trying to get me to take him to the flower drum. The flower drum do not <laughs> do, they, do they, the they chicken schnitzel. You know I might come along with that. What an upgrade that oh, is. It's my goodness, the, mate. Say, oh, get, do you want a drink? Yeah, I'll shout. Oh, okay. <laughs> Instead of getting the beer, you go for a double scotch 
or something. But anyway, absolutely work, terrible reckon, form Scotty. Scott. He's done every trick in the book. But will the Tigers bounce back and get a much-needed win on Sunday against Melbourne? Yeah, I think they will, Quinny. Um, uh, I, I think they're... They're a team that uh, they're ready to go, I think, at the moment. They really they felt like, it didn't look it, but they felt like they made a bit of ground last week against a really good team in St Kilda. Um, I think the fact that they're staying back home in Melbourne, playing playing back here uh, against the Demons, the Demons were so disappointing. I think this is the launching pad. We'll know a lot more about Richmond after this week. If they struggle this week, I reckon you can almost put a pen through them. I'm not prepared to do that yet, but it's getting close. The, the good thing about Richmond last week, is you could see there was an improvement on the week before, but they're still a long way off. Mm. Um, and, you know, whether it's attitude or, or fitness or teaming together, there's, there's problems. There's big problems. So, um, and when you look at Melbourne, Melbourne are trying hard. They just can't kick scores. Their highest score this year has been 54 points. So their midfield works really hard. They get first use through Max Gorn, so that'll be an advantage. But they're having real trouble connecting with their forward line. So this, for me, this is a really intriguing match. I think you, you, you pick the Tigers to win, but you cannot have any confidence looking at their last couple of matches and looking at a lot of the basics that you just think they're going to turn up and do, you know, whether it be front and squares, whether it be holding space for your teammate once you get the footy, all the basics that they've done so well over the last few years. For some reason, I don't know if it's survival mode or, or if they're just not up to it at the moment or the care factor's gone out. It's it's troubling times. So they need to obviously win. Melbourne needs to win. Melbourne are playing okay. Melbourne are going all right. So this is definitely not going to be a walk in the park, but I'm just relying on the on the you know, the Tiger Army to spark them up and get them going. And from, the from a distance, the Tiger the distance, Army yeah. too. So from the from the other They're a bit worried. The Trent Cochin is a little bit worried that, that he says we have adapted far worse than any other team about not having a crowd there. It's intriguing that. But but not only that, they're, they're kicking. They're, they're missing mm. easy targets, yeah. you know, even when they're getting it through the middle, Prestia's just blazing away. Like and he's been the, probably their better performer, but they're just not having that composure like we've seen over the last uh, few years. They've been an incredible side, and I was picking them to win this year, but... They've got a lot of work to do. And the positive from last week, you could see that they were trying to grind into a bit of form, but it's still a long way off. And the round concludes with a cracker for mine. GWS up against Hawthorne, the Giants. They were back in business last week with that much-needed win against Collingwood. The Hawks, well, with the exception of that game against Geelong where they were terrible, they're undefeated. What do you make of this one? Hard to work the Hawks. I can't work them out at the moment. So I think the Giants will win, but only just. I think this will be a really close game. It might be a, a try-bet sort of either team under 15.5 points. That The Giants were terrific last week. They, make no mistake, they went in with a plan against Collingwood. Um, very similar plan to what happened in the preliminary final last year, and it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collingwood dominated the aerial stuff there, but couldn't Shut put that side on the bottom out of the game. Shut side bottom out of the game. It was almost a mirror image in a lot of ways of of that particular game, and the Pies were disappointing, um, very disappointing. Uh, so I think oh, Toby Green, I mean, how good is he to watch in a lot of ways? The umpire, the fascinating thing to be watched, how many free kicks for Toby Green this week? You know how many he's had this year? Zero. Uh, no free kicks this year. It, it'll be umpire watch because we'll be Absolutely. watching Toby Green free kicks and we'll be watching Hawthorne caught with the ball. Correct, exactly, caught so with we'll the ball. So we'll be watching I, the umpires yeah. to see if they're going to react to yeah. uh, the noise during the week. So I think the Giants, but I think it'll be a really close game. This is the game I'm looking forward to the most this weekend. Mm. What are you? You got a feeling? Not really. It's you, one you of got those a bit ones. of a hawk feeling there. I reckon. I can just well, sense it in you. The your... hawks. 
they look so bad against Geelong, but apart from that, they've been pretty clinical this season. And if you apart take out the that they bizarre fell over five that, minutes yeah, was against weird. North, they weird. were all over them. It's just been one of those mm. funny seasons. The Giants have got more upside, but I mm. trust the Hawks more. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what this game comes down to. Who do you trust to be the most consistent in the way that they go about their football? And it, to me, it's Hawthorne. It's like, okay, I'm, last week the Giants, their season was on the line. So they had to roll the dice. They had to bring in Mumford, hadn't played for a year, <laughs> throw him in, bash and crash. Might it. take him three weeks to get hey, over it the way he well, looked that, at the that, end of the game. That's the thing is like, does he back <laughs> up again this week? You know, and, and they fell across the line. Like Collingwood were coming. Let's not kid ourselves. Collingwood were coming. You have Howe go out of the game. Side bottom doesn't have uh, impact. So two real key players. Yeah, I, I just think Hawthorne can just find a way to win with their angry little coach yelling and uh, barking <laughs> orders. So I think they can win. I'm not saying that with my heart. I'm just saying it with just the way um, they go about it from week to week and from a consistent nature of it. Uh, but I, I agree, this is going to be an absolute cracker of a game and looking forward to it. And don't forget, last week I said, have something on Chad Wingard to win the Brownlow medal. Oof. Okay. And he's, he's still 100 to 1, right? So I'm not sure if anyone cares, but he's 100 to 1. He, he played really well on the weekend against North Melbourne again. He kicked three goals. He had about 20-odd touches, but every time he gets it, he doesn't miss a target. He does something right. I think he got the votes. If you look at the coaches' votes, he's in the top three or four for the coaches' votes out of all the players in the competition. I'm not saying he's going to win, but he's way overpriced. There's 10 for you. He's oh, way we're, we're Let's on. go do it after he's this. He's way Straight overpriced. Away. We're doing it. And we're I, doing it. If, I reckon Thank if you, you stop the Brownlow medal right now, he would have to have at least seven or eight votes. Mm. Is that going to put him in the lead? Possibly. So I just think he's way over the odds. He's having a very good season. He's playing more through the middle. It's like go and have, if you can put something for a place in the first top five, <laughs> top three, You've got to have a go at Chad Wingard. I had a Brownlow bet last week. Did you? A player that was 34 is now 26, and I thought he'd be close to favourite. Yes. The number 10 from Collingwood, Scott R- Pendlebury. Really? Yeah, mate, he does. He just continues to know, and he always polls well. You know that, Quinny. You, and, and I love it with a Brownlow, a player that consistently polls well. So I, I, and, he, and he's just in rare form. Uh, this year, not many rounds down the track, he's got to become amazing. Collingwood have only ever had... Uh, t- three players over 300 games. He will break Tony Shaw's record coming up in the in the next few weeks, in the coming weeks as well. You're yeah. very excited about been, that. I am very exciting. <laughs> He's been a superstar for them. He has been a star. And yep. Pretty good value, that. So there we Why don't we Quinella? Because <laughs> one will win and one will run good. He will value, doesn't he, all the time. 2,600 to one pop and hopefully have some joy. Now, we're going to finish the show with a bang. Ooh. Punters, get your pen poised. Macca, what's your best bet for round five? Uh, I'm going to have a. I'm going to have an all up four winning teams. Uh, I'm going to have Collingwood, West Coast, Geelong, and Richmond. You can wow. get around about four dollars. You put West Coast that. in there. Yep, throwing them in there. Just this is the ta- <laughs> no, time that the Tigers bounce back and West Coast bounce back because they need to. And I think Geelong will win, and I think Collingwood will win. $4.50, I'm happy to take that. I love it. Most of us struggle to get one winner this season. He's going for four. <laughs> Bang. Good I like it. Start. Well, we're picking Geelong against Gold Coast. Two milestone matches. Um, Selwood, superstar. Ablett, superstar. They'll get up and they'll win. I, I don't want to fiddle around with the margin because Gold Coast have been good. Collingwood to win. I think Collingwood is still one of the best teams in the competition. Know how. No side bottoms, no worries. They've got great depth. I think they'll win by a good margin against the Bombers. So over 20 plus. So Geelong to win, into Colling to win, 
by 20 plus points. Mm. My best bet for round five, keeping it nice and simple. Collingwood, one to 39 and a half. I think they'll beat the Bombers, but the Bombers will do enough to keep it Ooh, in that range. Oh. Gents, it's been great fun. Can't <laughs> wait to do it again soon. Punters, you've been listening to Tabs Inside 50, and please gamble responsibly. Croft put away the board games. The AFL is back. And so is the Tab Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets all in the one bet. Available online for every AFL game this season to Victoria, New South Wales and ACT Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help 1-800-858-858.